As for today, if you have a Bible, we'd love for you to open up to Mark chapter 8. We'll pick up uh, in verse number 31 in just a little bit. Uh, We'll have some other verses on the screen before we get into Mark, so you may want to make note of those as we read them or as we look at them. Um, I I thought way too long and hard about calling this series Resolutions, and that's not even funny, but thankfully God said, don't do that. Um, and I didn't do that, so spared y'all from having to look at that for a couple of weeks. Um, so we settled on resolutions for the soul. Uh, it's kind of like chicken soup, but, uh, but better. And, and chicken soup probably would be pretty good for a day like today. But hopefully this message will be good for a day like today too. Um, we're one week into the new year, but that doesn't mean we can't still make some resolutions, right? And maybe you've already made some and broke some, but let's kind of call the first week uh, uh, a mulligan and, and let's, uh, let's have a fresh start today, right? Uh, we would have started this last week, but I wanted to have the first Sunday of the year, being on New Year's Day especially, um, be um, uh, kind of set at the stage for what we are looking forward to for 2023 as a whole church, um, kind of set a, a, a banner over our church and over our mission. Uh, so we talked about our determination to, uh, in this new year, to pursue God's will for our lives but specifically to seek after God's goodness in this new year, which, is, which isn't only found in the most successful of seasons, as we found out. It's not only found in the best of times, but as we learn, God's goodness can be found all of the time because God is good all of the time. Amen? God's goodness can be found in all of our seasons, even the seasons and circumstances where we don't feel good. Because God is still good, even if we don't feel good or don't see good in the midst of what we're going through. And that means that God's goodness can be found and obtained and experienced no matter what. The issue may be that we just aren't looking in the right places and aren't looking through the proper lens. And the banner that we set over our new year as a church was Psalm 27, verse 13. If you haven't committed this to memory, I would love for you to try to do it at least, or at least write it down. David wrote in Psalm 27, verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that means right here, right now. Not in some idealistic future that might come, not in some past that I can't go back to, but right here, right now. I will find the goodness of God because God is good all of the time. And and David said in that psalm, I almost gave up, but then I remembered and I chose to believe that I could see the goodness of God in the land of the living in the here and now. Not in the might, might or the could be or the hopefully will, but in the here and now, no matter what it might be like. Now, it's my prayer that we make this our anchor verse. You know, an anchor is something that ties you down, that keeps you from getting too far away. An anchor verse for 2023 that we fix our eyes on the Lord, trusting that his goodness will be better than whatever good this world offers us. And I'm not saying the world doesn't offer you some good things. I just believe what God has for you is better than that. And I also believe that God ha- God's goodness is greater than whatever bad the world throws at you. So I believe, I, I, think, I think that's pretty powerful, these two ideals that we can find from this verse. That we can find God's goodness and it's better than whatever good the world offers us. And it's greater than whatever bad the world throws at us. Now, better than, greater than, I think that's a way that we can stay passionate for and about God above all else. If we are 
seeing his goodness, uh, seeking his goodness as our ultimate desire and prize, then we won't be deceived by something that's less than God's goodness, and we won't be discouraged by something that's, that's weaker than God's goodness. Being content and satisfied with God's goodness may draw criticism from some, supposing that we're going to be outdone by something or we're going to be overwhelmed by something. But if we are looking for the goodness of God in the land of the living, here's what we know. We know that all things, Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We know, and, and what is the good God is promising us here? His goodness. Not the world's goodness, because he's better than that. His goodness. Not something that can be outdone by the world, because he's greater than whatever the world frustrates us with. We know that all things work out for the good, the goodness of God that he gives those that love him. And as we heard from David, we can count on it, depend on it, rely on it. So, so that brings us to our second message of, of the new year, which is going to spiral off into several messages, I'm sure. And it's more of your traditional resolution and goal-setting kind of sermon. We've got a foundation that's going to ground us and inform us and, and direct us as we made these, make, this goal, make these goals and resolutions. Uh, the beauty of having this foundation of God's goodness and God's promises is that whether we set any goals and whether we meet any goals, I hope you do and I hope you surpass them, but whether we set goals and meet these goals, God is still going to be good and faithful to us. That's the promise that we have from Psalm 27, that we can see the goodness of God, whether we're good or not, or whether things are good for us or not that we can still find the goodness of God in spite of everything that might go wrong, including our own lives and our own disobedience. We may miss some of his best if we don't seek after him and if we don't obey him, but ultimately God's love for us and God's goodness over us is not held hostage by our obedience. If that were the case, he would have never came to save us because we are already disobeyed our way far from him. And that's why he came, because he is so good. One of the most amazing, humbling verses that Paul writes in 2 Timothy is this one. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Isn't that, that amazing? If we are faithless, not if we have a little less faith than we used to, but if we just completely give up, God is still faithful. For he cannot deny himself as in he cannot deny those that he made and that he loves Still yet, he calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be devoted. He calls us to come after him in a sacrificial way. And, and you know, God isn't afraid that verses like this might somehow deter us from pursuing him. God isn't afraid that when he says things like this to us, hey, you can be faithless, but I'll still be faithful, and I'll still be good if you're bad. God's not afraid that somehow we're going to take that and say, well, I'll just go do whatever I want to do. Because God is confident that this is actually going to draw us in. And I believe the Holy Spirit obviously works that way. We, uh, the, the, the kindness of God and the graciousness of God is what draws us closer and makes us wrestle with his better and perfect plans. Romans 2.4 says this, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 
So that is why as a church, we lift up the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the love of God because the Bible teaches that that's what works on our hearts and that's what changes sinners like us. And you know that's worked on you, don't you? That's, that's what brought us to this place. That doesn't mean the Bible doesn't also confront us with truth, though. Difficult, challenging truth, even. Likewise, we as a church never avoid the tough and challenging conversations because with such a gracious and kind God, a God who is good to us no matter what, how can we not take serious and sacred the things he calls us and the way of life he has set before us that's fulfilling that's only found in Jesus. How can we ignore that when he's been so kind and so good to us? The Spirit of God won't let us. And when we hear his words, we know that there's more accessible to us and obtainable from God that we've yet arrived at, and we know that he's calling us deeper and closer and farther. And that's why I think it's good that we make some specific resolutions for our souls and hold each other accountable to these, which will be rooted in biblical truths and convictions. And, and maybe you've already made some resolutions for the new year. Hopefully you've stayed with them so far. Uh, probably a very common resolution that uh, many adults make at the beginning of each year is to have a better handle on their finances, uh, to, to save more, to spend less, to make money go farther. Maybe you've made some resolutions for your health, uh, to whether it's to get checked out on some things that maybe you've been ignoring, uh, to, to exercise more, to eat better. And, and again, those may sound kind of you know, you know, routine and trivial, but, but it, if you need to do them, they're important to do. Uh, maybe you've committed uh, re repairing in a relationship that you've let kind of go in the wrong way. Uh, maybe you are going to restart your education. Maybe you're going to finally fix that project that you have kind of let go and put off. But, but everybody should. And all of you should, all of us should, give some thought to something that I think is as important, maybe more important, than any of those things. Concerning what goals should we make for our souls. Now, what resolutions can we commit to that concentrate on that part of us that we often ignore but is actually the most important of them all? Now, maybe you've never really given much thought to your soul unless you're in a building like this on a day like this, and, and maybe there's several reasons uh, why you can think of, of other things that are more important or more pressing right now because you're just not as in tune with your soul maybe as you should be or would like to be, and maybe you don't really think that you need to, to worry about that uh, as much as someone would make you feel like you should. But, but I think, the reason I think that you should pay attention to your soul in 2023 and, and, and to get us on the same page, I want us to hear from Jesus on this very subject because Jesus talked about this very subject more than he talked about any other subject. Now, Jesus preached one particular sermon, perhaps more than he preached any other sermon, not because it was more important than the others, but because all of his other sermons could be consolidated as bullet points within and beneath this sermon. You could take every sermon Jesus ever preached on relationships, on money, on eternity, and you could bullet point them underneath this very sermon. If Jesus preached a sermon that was overarching, that defined his agenda, it's the one we're going to look at today. And it's not one that you've never heard before. Of course you've heard it before. You're aware of what it says, I'm sure, but my goal is that we would be aware of what it means. Now you can find this sermon, a variation of the sermon in all four gospels, which is very rare because you oddly see one, uh, uh, the same text across all four. But again, it's so encompassing and it's so overarching and foundational that it becomes obvious why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record a version of it. But today we're going to focus on Mark's version. So, so let me set the stage for you. 
um, literally, let me set the stage for you as it was back when Jesus gave the sermon. At this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, he is a superstar. I mean, he is the rock star of his day. Uh, he had hundreds of people following him on any given day. He, when he would come to a town, thousands of people would flock to him. And, and Jesus did not shy away from the popularity. He leaned into it. He would heal and perform miracles. He would send word to a town that he was coming. He would send his disciples ahead of him, and they would reserve a town square or a hillside or a dockside, and his disciples would basically set up an outdoor amphitheater for him when he would come into town. He would preach and teach and perform miracles, and he would answer people's prayers right on the spot. So when you heard Jesus was coming, man, it was like a tour that was on the move. You went to where he was, or you made sure you had your schedule clear. Right before the episode, we're looking at Jesus had went up on a mountaintop like Moses or like Elijah of old, and he proclaimed that he wasn't just a passing fad, that he was going to build something that would last forever. His movement wouldn't be like your favorite band, that you may still wear the t-shirt from their tours, but some people don't even remember the songs that they sang, right? Makes you feel a little bit old whenever that happens from generation generation. But Jesus made it very clear, hey, I'm going to be known for every generation to come. And he was right about that, wasn't he? He didn't use the word, I'm building a kingdom, like most expected. He said, I'm going to build my church. And my church will be the epicenter of all the change that I've come to bring into the world. Now, you can imagine that the people in the crowd they, that, they, that he spoke to, they had a lot that they thought needed to change about their world, a lot that they were hoping for divine intervention uh, in their lives. And, and, and again, think about all the areas of your life that you need improving in, that you need help in, that you need changing, from your health to your finances, things that you want, things that you need. Uh, go broader, things concerning your family, concerning your community, concerning your country. And imagine Jesus talking this big game about giving the keys of the kingdom of God to those that believed in him, that you might unlock and tap into the power of God in your life. I mean, imagine, and and you couldn't help, you couldn't help but let your mind wonder. And those that heard him these days, their minds wondered and considered all that they might profit and gain by being around Jesus. Again, if all the resolutions you've made, the dreams you have, if all of them could come true by simply being near Jesus, I mean, who wouldn't follow him? Jesus watched the crowds double and triple in size. He heard the pleas. Heck, he read the minds because he could do that, right? Of all the people crying out for Jesus to bless their health and their wealth and their families and their nation. And it's not that Jesus wasn't concerned about that stuff. He was. Nothing about you is insignificant to him. He loves you and he cares about those specific things. But he noticed something in the crowd that day. And maybe it just dawned on him, maybe he always knew this, but he noticed something. None of the hundreds of thousands of people fawning over him were asking him to tend to their souls. None of them. None of them were asking for them to change, for God to change the situation going on inside of them. It was all external stuff. It was, I need this and I want that. And can you fix this? And can you make this better? And can you give me more of that? And can you get rid of that? Nobody was asking for, the, for God to deal with their souls or help their hearts. Worse than that even, none of them were even aware that there was a pressing need in their souls. None of them were even aware that there was a deficiency inside of them. Some of them, and maybe this is where you're at, some of them didn't even know they had a soul or didn't even know what that even meant. 
So we don't know if Jesus had sensed this or changed his message or we most likely he planned this all along and was just waiting for the right time. But Jesus begins to explain why he came in prep of addressing the need he actually came to meet. But as it were, the way he introduces the subject really upsets some of his closest of followers who were helping coordinate the show. And that's where we jump in. Mark 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And, and if you're in the crowd that day and you hear Jesus, who is the most popular man in the world, who has a crowd upon crowd, thousands of people that are by his side ready to go to war for him if he asked them to, and you hear him say, suffer, rejected, and killed... I don't think the last part of this, after three days rise again, I don't think that really means much to you because you've never seen a resurrection. You don't know what he means by that, but you know what suffering and rejection and being murdered means. And all of a sudden you hear Jesus say that and it's completely foreign to what he's been talking about. It's completely foreign to the miracles and the healings and all the answered prayers that he's been talking about that they thought he was going to continue to do in their physical, earthly needs. And he spoke the word openly. And, and literally the word there is that he spoke it plainly. He spoke it boldly so that nobody could say, is he using a metaphor here? Is he just being abstract here? Is he telling a parable? No, he made it very clear. And this is very abrupt. So abrupt that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, folks, Jesus is very tired. He's been doing this every town. He's been doing this every night of the week for the last three years. He needs a break. We're going to give him a moment. So y'all just y'all sit tight. I need to have a word with Jesus. So he takes Jesus back and says, Jesus, what are you doing? We have a good thing going here. They are ready to die for you. You don't got to die. You're not going to die. You're here to answer everybody's prayer and give everybody what they want. Jesus. Just rethink your sermon here. I know, I, know, I, know, I know you're Jesus and I'm Peter, but I think I could give you a few pointers. So Jesus, he, he rebukes him. And he, he had heard Jesus rebuke demons before. So Peter says, hey, I'll try this out. I don't know if that was a good idea, right? Hey, Jesus rebukes demons. Peter is going to rebuke Jesus. Not how it works, right? So Peter says, hey, Jesus, I think you need a break. And then Jesus openly says, hey, Peter, we're not going backstage. We're going to do this right here, right in front of everybody. And he turned around and looked at the disciples, the big crowds of people, and he rebuked Peter. And, and, and I think at this point, like, you know, I don't know if Jesus ever did this stuff just to kind of, you know, play with people. But if he had a sound system, he didn't have a sound system. But if he had a sound system, he would have turned the volume way up on this one. Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, oh, you're not Peter. You're acting like the devil. You are speaking on behalf of Satan himself. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And at this point, at this point, the disciples are just doing like this to the crowd saying, y'all need to go away. Something's going on. Y'all don't need to hear this. This is not the Jesus we want you to see. This is not the Jesus we want to see. Jesus and Peter having a little bit of an argument. Uh, you know, did he call him Satan? He really meant something else. He meant to say Simon. That's his real name. Y'all go. Jesus needs a break. We'll get back to this tomorrow night, same place, same time, when he's cooled down a little bit. <laughs> Jesus punches back and says, Peter, I'm trying to make known to the crowd and to you why I've showed up and why I'm building my church. I know this may sound strange, but you need to hear the whole story. And he uses, again, he rebukes Peter like he would rebuke a demon. 
So Jesus calls the crowds back to him as they likely had begun to file away because, hey, what was going on? And, and then verse 34, he called the people to himself as in, hey, y'all don't leave. I'm just getting started. Y'all stay put. And at this point, I think everybody just turned around and thought, okay, I guess he's going to talk. And maybe he'll say something we don't want to hear. Maybe he's still got a few performances to do. He says, hey, come back, y'all. Whoever desires to come after me must deny himself or herself, take up the cross, and follow me. And again, this is so abrupt, so strange, because they hadn't heard anything like this before out of Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Guys, I know y'all want me to help prop you up and give you what you want, but listen, whoever, anybody that's ever desired to save their life, eventually you're going to lose it anyway. But the one who loses his life, life for my sake, as in you know you're going to lose it, so why don't you lose it for something that's going to gain you in eternity? Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what will it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or forfeits his soul. You never knew that such a famous line from Jesus came from such a contentious moment in his ministry. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I want to explain to you what Jesus is doing here. Because he knows, if you think he sounds kind of harsh and rigid, he knows he's sounding harsh and rigid because he needs to. He's calling you, he's calling us to begin paying attention to our greatest need, which just so happens to be the part of us that we've been given the least amount of attention to. So many of us, we think that our lives will be saved and redeemed and fulfilled if only we reach the goal or obtain the prize or make it so far as we've been told or we've set our goals to be. But Jesus confronts us in our ignorance, in our foolishness, and says all of you trying to make it in this life on the path, on that path, will eventually lose it anyway. And come on, just stating the obvious here and, and not to be too morbid, but do you know how many people have lived and not eventually died in world history? I mean, taking out the two biblical miracles of Enoch and Elijah, none no matter the success or the health or the wealth or the fame or fortune, everybody who tries to save their life, as in they go to the doctor and they eat right and they exercise and they do the things that you're supposed to do, everybody that tries to save their life eventually loses it. And you know why Jesus resorts to this kind of scare tactic in these verses? To get you to pay attention to the part of you that you've been ignoring that you maybe didn't even realize was a part of you. And that's your soul. He has never used this word up until this point in his ministry. When he says, what would it profit a man if he gained the world and loses his soul? And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you are like them and you have never even had it explained to you, what is my soul? And maybe more important than anything else is, is maybe you've never even thought about that there's more to you than what meets the eye. So here's the short of it, and I tried to define this as succinctly and as simply as I could. The soul is the inner life of a person, that's you. The seat of our emotions, where they all come from. The center of our personality and conscience. The soul is what makes you a distinct creature exclusively made in the image of God. 
So your soul is the spark of life within your body. It doesn't give you consciousness, but it makes you you. It's what gives life to your body. Your soul is the source of your emotions. For example, a soul that is balanced brings forth joy, but a soul that is unbalanced and distraught may bring forth all sorts of negative things. Your soul is your tangible, is the intangible essence. It's the thumbprint of God on you. So you know what that means? It means you're not an animal wandering with only survival and pleasure on your mind, with no other imperatives. You're also not a machine programmed to behave and function in a singular way. You are a human being created in the image of God, made with a capacity to know him and delight in him, yet you're fallen from him because of sin. And that's why you might not be aware nor concerned about your soul. You see, you enjoy life with intellect and free will that your soul affords you, sharing in the image of God, the nature of God in ways that you don't even realize. Yet we are bound by and frustrated by a sinful nature that deceives us and distracts us with shallow, temporary things. So while there may be pressing needs in this life, in this body, in this world, and of course there are real needs, our greatest need lies within our soul. The source of all our unpleasant, inconsistent emotions, thoughts, and behaviors is this disconnect from our Creator God. Has Jesus, had Jesus met all the needs of the people that were, they were crying out for, were he to answer all of your pleas for material and worldly peace and prosperity, we would still feel an emptiness and a vapidness and a hunger and a longing for more. And that longing, that hunger, is our soul's desire to know God and walk with Him in a dynamic, thriving relationship. Listen, I'm not trying to offer you psychological advice this morning, but this is scriptural truth. So many of us are unsettled and vexed in our souls. And that's why we need to give attention and priority to them. So many of us, and it shows up as we're angry and we're sad and we're discontent and we're depressed and we're entitled and we're greedy and we're jealous and we're hateful and we're rude and we're strung out and we're worried and we're lonely and we're empty because at the seat of it all, at the heart of it all is a soul that we have not been prioritizing or caring for or tending to. I think that list hits all of us somewhere probably, right? If it hits all of you, if, that, if that's all of us, if that's all you, hey, we'll talk. But hey, I think it hits some of us, right? In some way, shape, or form. If you're feeling overwhelmed and you're hoping that a certain need met in this life might lift your spirits, I'm not saying you don't need that, but I am saying that maybe you need something more than that. Do you hear that? I'm not saying you don't need that need met. I'm not saying there's not a material, physical thing you might need that, that can help you, right? It's like, hey, I got a headache. I'll take a pill. I'll take some Tylenol. Right? I'm not saying, hey, I'm hungry. I need some food. Or, hey, I need some money to buy. I'm not saying you don't need those things. But can I suggest there might be something deeper going on than just the outward symptoms that we are so quick to, to check the box and move on? That's, that's what Jesus is suggesting. He's not saying ignore the physical. He's saying, hey, I just want you to get to figure out what's going on underneath. And this is what makes verse 37 so heavy when he says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what the answer is to that? Nothing. You haven't even considered your soul, but at the end of the day, you wouldn't trade anything for it. 
once you realize how valuable it is. And that's the point. Your soul is the most valuable part of you because your soul is you with or without the material, material statuses and possessions of this world. Your soul is you without the family you have, without the home that you have, without the career that you have, without the stuff that you have, without all the things that you've labeled yourself with. Your soul is you with or without that stuff. Jesus is not saying in verse 36 that in order to preserve or fulfill your soul, you can't be concerned with your earthly needs. But he is saying that if any of those things are higher up the list in pursuits than nurturing and tending to your soul, your connection to your relationship with your heavenly father, you are running the risk of forfeiting this life. Again, what, what verse 37 means, what will a man exchange for his soul? It means that deep down, you value your soul more than you value any other part of you, whether you realize it or not. If you realize, if you, if you discovered that you owned something that was worth more than you could ever imagine, what would you do? For, what would you immediately start doing for, about that thing? You'd take care of it. You'd lock it behind something. You, you, would, you would preserve it, Right? You would tend to it. You would care for it. You would make sure that it was in the tip-top condition in case you ever needed to cash it in, right? Whether you realize it or not, you value your soul more than you value any other part of you. At the end of this life, if you were to have everything, went everywhere, accomplished everything, have all your needs met, you're wealthy, healthy, famous, full, and happy, and you ease across the finish line, but if you suddenly realize that you had neglected your soul in the process, you would go back and do it all over again if you could. But if you, and it's not that doing, those, doing it right excludes all the other things, but for some of us it may, I'll be honest, it may exclude those things, but the point is that Jesus is inviting us to realize that he died so that we might be reconciled to God, so that our souls might be restored and filled with the presence of God. And he makes it clear that choosing to follow him and put him first may cost you in any and all areas of your life. That's why he says, hey, I want you to follow me even if it costs you. And it might very well cost you, but the gain of such an exchange is priceless. Because it'll mean salvation and fulfillment for your soul. Listen, there's no question that this is one of the most provocative texts in the Bible. No matter who you are or what kind of life you're living, I think it gets under our skin and it makes us think. I think it makes us ask two specific questions. Am I tending to my soul as I should be? Am I potentially neglecting my soul? I think when Jesus asked that question, what does it profit a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? I mean, I think that makes us ask this question, right? Hey, am I tending to my soul like I should? It's the most valuable part of me. It's the part of me that goes on without all this other stuff. Am I tending to me as, as my soul as I should? Am I neglecting my soul potentially? I mean, I think if you can't, I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. I think all of us need a little bit of a gut check every once in a while. Hey, am I tending to my soul? And if you're noticing the things that you aren't really pleased with and everybody else isn't really pleased with, maybe that's some signs that you've neglected your soul. Maybe nobody knows about it yet. Maybe you do. We all know too well what happens when you neglect an area of your life. We know the repercussions and consequences when we neglect our health, our finances, our relationships, our careers. Come on. It's just like a mess in your car or a mess in your room at home. It gets bigger and bigger and eventually unmanageable, right? 
you know, hey, should you, did you clean your room? Maybe, maybe I just need a new room, right? I mean, you ever been that way before? I, can, can, I don't think I can clean my car at this point. I think it's gone. I think it's just, you know, hey, you only get one soul. You can't get a new one. That's you. It's me. It's us. Now, we'll go into the specifics in weeks to come, but I just want to wrap up today by asking you a question. How is your soul? And here's the thing. Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that question honestly. And if it's not going well for your soul, why would you not tend to it and care for it? If that requires some tough conversation with people in your life because, hey, you need to get some things right, hey, it's worth every bit of those conversations. But most importantly, it's worth every bit of the conversation that you and God might need to have. Maybe you've never considered that question. Maybe you don't even know how to answer that question. But I think our discussion today has enlightened us about why we need to start asking it and how we might begin to answer it. The first resolution for our soul ought to be care for it and tend to it as much or more than we attend to any other area or need of our lives or our desires of our lives. And I'm not saying you shouldn't attend to those things. I know you got to. If you don't, somebody else won't and it's on you. I get all that. But that doesn't make what Jesus said any less true, does it? I pray that we understand this more than anything. Caring for our souls is an indispensable practice. You know what indispensable means? It means vitally important. It means the most necessary thing on the list. Caring for your soul is an indispensable practice. I don't know what you would do. I don't know what you would give anything for if there's something in your life that, hey, I would do, I would do anything for that. But Jesus has told us that we would give much more for our soul at the end of this life if it dawns on us that we didn't give it the attention it demanded. So can, can we all just resolve together to care for our souls more in 2023? To examine where we stand with God and where God stands with us and pursue him above everything else and to seek to understand every area of our life from that place, our personal desires, our relationships, everything else through the lens of, hey, what's going on with my soul? Jesus died for your sins. He rose back to life to bring you to God, to give you a living, vital relationship with your creator. And if you know that, if you believe that, we should be following him with all of our hearts, our minds, and strength. And if we aren't following him, we should run to him today. On this passage alone, if we aren't following him above everything else, then it stands to reason our souls stand to gain something in 2023. If only we will turn towards him. So a few questions, a few questions I want to send home with you today to put a bow on all this. Go home and think about them, pray about them, see if you can answer them, answer them with your wife, your husband, your kids, Make your, talk to your kids about this because this is real for everybody of all ages. And, and I re- literally mean send home with you. If you want a handout with them printed on it, Chris will be in the back to hand you one in case you don't want to take notes or you want a copy of this. Three things I want to ask you to think about over the next week or as long as you need to. How is your relationship with God? What kind of relationship do you have with God? And if you can't answer those questions, right, it's okay to admit, hey, I don't really have one. Or, hey, it's not what it used to be. Or, hey, I got some room to grow. Or, hey, it used to be this and now it's this. Do you allow your relationship with God to influence every other area of your life, as in your marriage, your, your, your parenting, your, your, your job, everything else, every area? Do you allow your relationship with God to influence who you are and what you do everywhere that you go? 
with everybody that you're with. Number two, how much time and what specific habits do you have that pertain to your soul's care? You know, there's self-care, there's relationship care, there's all kind of care in today's world, and those are good things. But listen, the most important thing is how much time and how much, what are the habits, what specific habits do you have that pertain to your soul's care? Hey, you're here, on, you're in a church on Sunday, so that's one, right? That's a good start. But there's more to it, right? What, how much time and what specific habits do you have that pertain to your soul's care and to your relationship with God? And number three, what unbecoming burdens, emotions, or behaviors could actually be a byproduct of a neglected soul. I'm not saying they're not caused by everything, by other things. They could be. I mean, hey, if the world was just different, I'd be a lot different person. Hey, that's true for all of us, isn't it? But what is required of us is to ask the question, what unbecoming burdens, emotions, and behaviors could actually be a byproduct of my neglected soul? So we're going to begin a road to recovery for many a road of restoration, maybe a road of salvation, by declaring publicly and audibly today that we're going to prioritize our souls in 2023. We're going to put our relationship with God first and see how that might change every other area and aspect of our life. And if you're worried, what about other areas of my life? What about the other stuff that's important? Don't fret. Come back next week. But until then, what matters more than anything is how is your soul? Jesus says the most important part of you and I believe him because he would go to the cross and die for us because he knew something was so wrong inside of us that we couldn't fix it ourselves. It required him dying on a cross and doing behind the scenes a work that we could never imagine, going against the enemy, taking our sin to the cross, taking our sin to the grave, and raising up in victory. Jesus says it's the eternal part of us that every other thing that we do leaves an impression on our soul. But if you dust it all off a little bit, you'll see the thumbprint of God, the image of God. He made you. He loves you. He sent Jesus to save us and to show us how to have a full and abundant life. But we have to follow him to find it. And whatever he says about every area of our life, we should cherish because why wouldn't we? Because he's the one that revealed to us that we have a soul that we need to tend to. And that he went to the cross to die for, to save us, to bring us back to God, to show us our greatest need and to meet it himself. He didn't just show us the way, he is the way. So if you want to start following Jesus today for the first time, if you've never put your faith in Christ and you want to begin following him today because you realize you have a soul, it's the image of God, he made you, he has a purpose for you, but you've been neglecting him and you've never started a relationship with him, then there's no better time and no better place to start that relationship. And all you got to do is say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that God sent you to save me. I am lost without you. I am completely wandering around without you. I'm looking for direction. I'm looking for answers. God, I believe that Jesus is the way. I believe he is the truth in the life. I'm coming to you today if you'll receive me. And God says, absolutely, I will. But for the rest of us, come on, Christians, we all have neglected our souls, haven't we? And it's time that we examine our hearts and begin to look at what is going on inside of us that's showing up on the outside that we need to tend to because it's the most valuable part of us and we wouldn't trade anything for it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being honest with us. God, you love us and your goodness is beyond what we could ever deserve and you're better than and greater than anything in this life, yet you are very truthful with us when it comes to this need that we have. That our souls 
the inner part of us, the part of us that exists without all the stuff that we see and feel and taste and see, the, the part of us that, that goes with us into eternity, the part of us that's connected to you or, or, or disconnected to you. You made it clear to us that it's the most important part of us. And if we're ignoring it, then we're ignoring everything. And maybe there's some stuff coming out of us that is a result of us ignoring our souls and not taking care of our souls. So Lord, I pray you would move through this room this morning and most of all, move to the hearts of the needs of the ones that have a need. All of us, all of us need to pay attention to our souls. All of us need to care for our souls more. Lord, would you speak to every one of us about our relationship with you, about the habits that we have that, to tend to our souls and about the things that are byproducts of having neglected our souls. And may this invitation be for that person that wants to stand up boldly today and say, I don't want to wait any longer to, to, to address this, whether it's following you for the first time or restarting their walk with you and putting their faith in you once again. We all sing together, Lord, have your way with my heart and my soul. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.